time on the planet of great transition, a great transformation. The structures that we have been uh, living under are very hierarchical in nature, very pyramidal. And um, those structures are at the beginning of the change. And so one of the roles that I see of the priestess right now is to uh, hold the field of love, if you will, hold the container so that people don't um, absolutely go nuts during destabilizing times. We are showing up as the midwives, if you will, of the birth of a new humanity, a new kind of consciousness, one that is more whole, more balanced, more aligned with love and care and the higher principles that we often give lip service to, but don't actually live in our day-to-day -day lives. Hello, Rocketeers. Welcome to the weekly podcast for people craving richer relationships, fulfilling community, healthier masculinity, and permission to create. I'm your solo host this week, Charles Matthews. Kelly was here for the interview and she did an awesome job, but today during production day, she's off helping her mom who is nursing a broken arm. She's good. She's fine. Everything's great, but they're just doing some family time. So what would it be like if you could express the full spectrum of yourself? What would the world look like if we all decided to break down and recycle the boxes we've been expected to live in? Come with us today as we explore not only the mundane, but the sacred feminine and masculine and find out how diving into them, really exploring them, can change the world for the better. We are so lucky to have an enriching double date this week with our friends Doug Egan and Don Del Vecchio. Dawn is a scholar, entrepreneur, martial artist, and priestess who is encouraging women to reclaim their feminine power. Just this year, she interviewed 39 priestesses from around the world and multiple spiritual traditions. In this interview, she shares some of what she learned in that process. Dawn is offering a reduced-cost, intensive online coaching program to help women cultivate inner strength and engage the mission of their souls. Doug, her beloved partner, is a men's work leader and mentor for boys. He's been active in Boys to Men and the Mankind Project, and they're all working to help craft a healthy masculinity. How great would that be? All right, the tape is rolling. I guess I have to do all the checks myself. Uh, yeah, the tape is rolling. Check. Caffeine at optimum levels. I could use some more, but at this point in the day, it's too late for that. The cats are secured. Yeah, yep, look, they look fine. And the microphones are hot. We are go for launch. All right, welcome everybody to the Rocket Feather Podcast. I'm really excited for this interview today. I'm Charles Matthews. I'm Kelly Robears. And we're here with Doug Egan and Don Del Vecchio from Sedona and from deep exploration of masculinity and femininity. Yeah. So we're excited for this conversation. Welcome, Doug. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having us here today. I really appreciate it. Look forward to this conversation. And yeah. welcome, Dawn. Thank you for having me. This is so wonderful. And I know it's been in the making for a little bit, so it's so good to finally be here with you too. It is. Good things come to podcast hosts who wait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is our second double date. Oh, I think we've had more than that, haven't we? 
Yeah. Tracy and Tracy Jeremiah. and Jeremiah and the filmmakers Angie and Angie, Angie and Andrew and Johnson Andrew. Schmidt. Yeah, this is our third double date. This is great. This is how we keep our relationship fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of which, how did you two meet? Oh boy, should I tell him the short story? You tell him the short story. <laughs> when I was 19 years old in Hamden, Connecticut, behind the Carmel ice cream shop, my best friend at the time, Lee, came walking up with this beautiful woman right here. And I was like, oh my God, how does he find all these beautiful women? And we met, we talked, and uh, we became friends. And I went, I moved out west. We kind of kept communicating for a while. She had her life. I had my life. And 12 years ago, I looked her up on Google. Yes. I've been thinking about her for a long time. And I, I finally got her phone number. I asked if I could call her. And she said, yes. My palms were sweating when I was when I called her. That's probably the first thing I said to her. It was. <laughs> <laughs> We and we rekindled a relationship after 25 years. Wow! Fantastic. And uh, but we met right in our right in our little hometown in Connecticut. Yeah, you know Kelly and I have a have a similar origin story. Yeah, we, we met again, kind of when we were 19. Yeah, spent like a day together. There was no real spark back then. No, we were not impressed. <laughs> Unlike you two, we were not impressed. <laughs> You had a love triangle back in New York to be worrying about. I did. I did. I already had. Yeah, I already had. Yeah, I was a mess. But anyway, yeah. And then uh, 20 something years later, my mom has been trying to been trying to hook us up for a long time for 23 years. And we finally longer than that. 26 years, something like that. Nice. Yeah. Wow. How, how long have you been together now? We had our, our first date seven years ago in May. There we go. We've been keeping our keeping our relationship fresh with projects and and podcasts and all kinds of stuff. And I know Doug from Boys to Men. And yes. for those of you, yeah, and Mankind Project. The Mankind Project started with Boys to Men. Yeah. When I first met you. Now, were you involved with with Mankind Project before you started with Boys to Men, or which which came I was, first? I was involved with Mankind Project, and uh, through our mutual friend Robert Abramson, he said you should come up and do a weekend, Boys to Men weekend. Yeah. It was actually my weekend before I initiated in the Mankind Project and, and came up there and was so thoroughly life-changed that I um, stuck with Boys to Men after that and then went and did my own initiation after that. So it was a couple of really life-changing weekends in a row. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's when I met you and I've been a firm supporter and part of the organization ever since. Great. Great. You jumped all the way in, didn't you? Years ago. Yeah, I have both feet. Yeah, well, you got we got dragged down a little bit. You you made a strong impression on people at that boys initiation weekend, and kind of the leadership saw your passion and interest, and uh, you just show up bright eyed and bushy tailed all the time um, for that for that work, and they started dragging you in. What what was it about that weekend that that had your eyes and ears and hearts so wide open? Part of it was really the organization and how it actually all worked. And this was something I've, I've liked to look at afterwards because now I see how the pieces really, really fit together. But it was, <clears throat> it was mostly the men's hearts, the men's hearts and the care for the boys and the young men that were coming up to the mountain. 
uh, the transformation I saw in them over just from a Friday night to a Sunday and the transformation in myself and the transformation in the other men that were around me. I mean, it, my heart was cracked wide open. I was able to feel, I was able to feel all weekend and it was like, wow, this is amazing. And watching men like you, Charles, and some of the other men that have been around to, uh, facilitating these boys and asking them the questions and, and, and just watching the magic happen. Yeah. No, you know, I think most of our audience, most of our audience for this podcast would, you know, would hear you use words like feel and open and honest and truth. And most people are going to be, that sounds great, but I'm, I gotta think that there is a few men in particular out there who think that that's just a terrible set of ideas. You know, we get acculturated, we get stuck in the man box where feeling and honesty and truth are things to be hidden, things to be kept very private. And sometimes we share them, we share them in our, in our love relationships, right? Like we burden, we burden the women in our lives with all of our truth and honesty and feeling. And they're the ones that have to carry it around for us. So what makes that stuff attractive for you as a guy? I mean, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't raised in a commune with goats, were you? (laughs) No, I was actually raised in a, you know, a East Coast Italian-Irish neighborhood with a, in a law enforcement family. And what made it attractive for me is, is I grew up in a loving family, but it was not really the deeper conversations that we might have that I have now and over the last few years. But what makes it attractive for me is it was like picture a beach ball and you're trying to hold a beach ball down underneath the water. And I was holding this beach ball down under the water most of my life and trying to, through different things, trying to keep that there. And that led to some unhealthy habits and some unhealthy thoughts that, have, that I've chased around through my life. And to be able to let go of that beach ball and let it up, these feelings aren't mutually exclusive. You know, I can still pick roses in the morning and go to the range in the afternoon. There's, there's, you know, it's okay to be a man, but it's, and it's way okay to have these feelings and it's way okay to share. And in fact, it's very healthy to be able to look at both sides of it and being able to share it. You know, I, I was home when Doug came home from that first Boys to Men weekend and got to see the, the love and the vulnerability and the sweetness in his eyes and his heart. And I knew that he was, you know, he was in in our mainstream mindset culture to go about emoting uh, doesn't make sense. And for a man, you know, women want a strong man. There's no doubt about it. We don't want someone who's just blubbering all the time. But if he, because then we have to show up with our pants, you know, the pants on and be the strong one. So it's not necessarily about, you know, being feely feely all the time, but in access to our feelings, whether we're women or men, of course, ends up being, it's like you're truncating a part of yourself. And that's how men have been traditionally raised for how many, how many generations? How many? Too many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got any thoughts on that, Kelly? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I think that's, I think that's true. It's about being the full spectrum of ourselves and I don't want to be around women who are blubbering all the time either. Me neither. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Nobody who's blubbering all the time is going to be fun to be around. And it is fun to be around people who know themselves, who I don't have to guess where I stand with you, who can express honestly 
but in proportion and, you know, and that that's a safe experience, you know, cause I was, I was raised with people who kept a lot inside. So I always had a guess. And so when I would meet people who just told it straight out and there wasn't a lot of drama, that to me was so refreshing to be around. And I strive to be better at that. So just a, I mean, just a little bit about my experience with, with men's work and, and see what you think of this, Doug. I, I think I've said this before on this podcast, but the, the big deal for me, the really important experience for me in joining Boys to Men and being able to do initiation work and emotional resiliency work with men and boys was for the first time in my life I had loving, supportive relationships with men. And part of the man box and part of my experience of, of the man box and toxic masculinity was being bullied, was always being in competition, was always being, you know, put down culture. Even even in even in my male friendships, there was always this undercurrent of put down culture and and not it wasn't, you know, okay to say, I love you or I got your back or I disagree with you, but I'm still here for you, you know, all of those really important things. And being able to love men and feel supported by men made my own masculinity possible because I wasn't afraid of men anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't antsy and on eggshells around men anymore, which meant I could be more fully present for myself. Like I, I, I look back and like, I was just a shadow of a, of a person before I started being able to be comfortable in those safe spaces, as Don points out with, with circles of men. So it was, it was, it was like a very important stage of just healthy ego development to, to be with men and have it be okay. Yeah. And I'll agree with that. And I'll, I'll add to that. And especially the put down culture growing up in this East coast city, Italian Irish neighborhood, the put down culture was, if you weren't being put down by your, it was almost a sign of affection. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were talking about this and that and putting me down, it's like, Oh, you must like me. <laughs> you know, this is cool or else you wouldn't say anything to me, but you know, that seeps down. Yeah. You know, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. I carried that with me my whole life. Once the put down culture was gone or I moved away from there, it was still inside. me. So to be able to open up and talk about these things and to go back there sometimes. And yeah, this happened in my life and that happened in my life. Now, like with you, like when we have a conversation on the phone, we're not really beating around the bush too much and, you know, talking about, our, you know, nothing wrong with talking about cars and sports and all that kind of stuff, but we don't really go there. That's for another time. We can go right into how you doing. Yeah. And I can, if, if I hear you or some, some of the other men, well, I'm this, I'm like, really? I can really go right in there and know I'll get a good, honest answer. Yeah. The same with me. We had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. You were like, hey, what about this? And I was like, oh, shoot. I guess I guess I guess I'm owning <laughs> up to this right now. Thank you for the question. Oh. But it helps me grow and it helps me in my in my path and to have other men that I know care about what's going on in my life enough to point that finger at me. Or not let's not use point that finger, but point their heart at me and say, Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Where are you at? What's going on for you? And what can I do to support you? So that makes the biggest difference in my life. For me, what I've seen in Doug's ability to have this, these relationships with men in his life. I mean, he was always a good friend to his friends, even before going deeper into this kind of work. 
but he shows up more whole in our relationship. And that's the key. That is the major key. And I wanted to connect that with the whole idea of the man box. I love this, Charles. Thank you for this image. It's great. And I have a little, it's like a caricature, but I want to share it here. It, I, uh, I grew up, uh, my, my dad is a very sensitive man and my brother is a sensitive man and my first husband, and yet they were in the man box. So that can manifest something like this. Ooh, I have a feeling. I think I'll get mad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and to this day, my, my loving father, loving as he is, but if he gets upset, if he's afraid of anything, he starts yelling. It's, it, it become, it, and so growing up, it felt like an attack. Spill the milk, yelling, fall down, yelling. You know, typical outgrowth of a man box is, ooh, I have a feeling, I think I'll get mad. And that, mm -hmm. Doug has never been that way anyway, but the bouquet, I don't know what other word, the diversity of ways of his uh, ability to show up now, I see it with, uh, with his brothers and also with me. And I know it's because of the work with Mankind Project and, and the boys. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So what does that, what does that mean for you? I mean, it's, you're not around somebody who's blubbering all the time, but you're around somebody who's, whose emotional range is complex. I mean, it's not, I'm, I'm you know, like I sometimes sympathize with Kelly cause I'm like, I'm kind of intense and you're, yeah. you're here for it. You're here for all of the, the joy, the, the sadness, the anger, the grief, the, the happiness, the silliness, like a lot know, of it turned up to 11, a lot of it turned up to 11. And I remember walking by the couch one day and just being like, this is what you got. How are, you, are you okay with that? <laughs> Well, I have to say, Doug is still a very mellow man, so it's not intense. So Doug's uh, emotional range means that uh, we can engage in our relationship more uh, on, we can meet in more places. Uh, mm. Oh, I love that. We yeah. can meet in more places. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm... I'm at the point in my life where I, I want to see it. I want to see the emotion and, um, cause that feels real to me. That feels authentic. That feels human to me, mm -hmm. you know, and there's so much that divides us, but those emotions are, they're universal to all of us. And so Don, you've been working on the, the feminine side of this equation. You know, it's like the basket of work or the basket of ideas that, we've been talking about with Doug and I as, you know, they call it men's work. Would you call what you're doing women's work? That's a good question. It's spiritual work. I would say it's mm -hmm. spiritual work, work with women mm -hmm. more than women's work. I, I, yeah. That might not sound like a clear distinction, um, but I'm happy to elaborate a little if you want. There is, in a sense, a new kind of women's work. This is something I would bring, be uh, happy to bring forward here, which is this... Um, it's like a, you could say a concept or an archetypal energy, if you will, of as women embodied in the female body or those who identify as a woman, uh, that we are like emissaries to bring in the rebalancing of uh, the spiritual feminine energy that has been so missing from our culture for thousands of years. And not every woman is called to do this work, but the women who are, those are the kind of women I tend to work with. How do we as women walk in the world in a spiritual way, in a balanced way, uh, where we allow ourselves also to embody this, what, would, what you could call the sacred feminine energies of receptivity, intuition, divine guidance, prayer, um, healing energies, that sort of thing. 
uh, rather than the model we were given as feminine liberation back in the 70s. And I don't know if you all are old enough to remember this, but probably the commercial, I can bring home the bacon, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And never, never let him forget he's a man. Um, that is a model of feminine power that is based on a masculine hierarchical role. And while there was great liberation that happened by allow, by us being able to go into the workplace, make our own money, and now with the internet, you know, a lot of us have a lot more uh, freedom, those of us who, who are able to do that. Um, and, and in academia, before, before the internet, academia, I have a degree in feminism, and my feminist professors didn't want to hear anything about goddess or divine feminine. They were very much in the masculine, intellectual all mind, no feeling model. Now, okay, we're going back 30 years, but <laughs> but but still, there's we still still see a you know emphasis on the intellect. So the divine feminine or the, the women's work you could say that I do is to help women to really embody the feminine qualities so that we have the balance within ourselves, so that we can drive with vision and mind and action but it is initiated by the receptivity, the intuition, the inner guidance, the spiritual guidance first. So it sounds like the pendulum had to swing in the earlier part of the feminist movement to to let us have our masculine qualities. Yes. But then part of the trap of that was that in order for women to compete... And to be part of, you know, the upper levels of the corporate structure and whatever, we kind of had to act like men because the structure is still masculine. Precisely. And in fact, <laughs> and that's what I'd say, we're in a pendulum swing. Now, I never knew back then that I would end up being in this place where I feel is like we're, we're more seeking to find that flow, like not stasis, mm-hmm. not that stasis of balance, but the flow where we're... Hey, sometimes in a, on a, in a daily basis, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm, I'm writing, I'm also a professional writer for many years and I'm using my mind and I'm using strategy to create something, but it's no longer informed by mental ideas that look like a good idea for whatever, fill in the blank, making money, ego gratification, et cetera. It's for, it's because I have been so deeply in my spiritual practice that I wait for the guidance and then I, I, I basically, in the feminine model, you could say, I just stated, like mm-hmm. just a child, and then I give birth to it. And that's more of an, the action part of it. Right. You're not just jamming it through. Yes. Yeah. So was there a, a formative moment for you that allowed you to embody this power? You use the word embody over and over again, and you, you speak really, really clearly about the difference between just being in your head and actually being embodied and in your spirit. Was there something that happened for you? Was there a, a mm-hmm. spiritual awakening or was it a gradual process, a bodily awakening? Yeah, great questions. Well, um, there there wasn't one moment. I, I have been fringe all of my life, like really, truly. <laughs> Second grade, I was like, I can't wait to go to catechism to learn about Jesus because that was the, mo- you know, that's what I had as a spiritual you know, model at that time. And boy, was I disappointed in catechism. And I was like, wait a minute, I thought I was going to learn about Jesus and awaken it, you know, whatever. whatever It doesn't sound juicy or mystical or anything. (laughs) Nothing. So um, it's been a long journey. And so I had 
but I would say that one of the biggest defining moments for me uh, was a long time ago, it was 36 plus years ago, when I gave birth to my son at home. And I was just a teenager. I was a, almost 19 years old. I had him at home with midwives. My pregnancy got me to look into alternative health and well-being. And eventually, uh, the other women who had home births with the same midwives, we started a mother's support group. We started off as a mother support group where we thought we were going to talk about diaper rash and weaning our babies and stuff like that. And we ended up a coven of witches dancing naked under the moon. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, and while that's not exactly true, it's not very far from the truth. Right. <laughs> We did eventually actually end up dancing naked under the moon eventually, but it was a journey. In other words, there was a journey mm -hmm. to get to that place. There were sweat lodges and prayers and learning and uh, fumbling around with ceremony and learning about the goddess and bringing things to the table and playing with crystals and all that stuff. So that was the formative. And, uh, but, but after that period of time, I went in a deep dive journey into the masculine with the martial arts that lasted for a long time. Uh, and then into the mind and being a writer. And it's only in the last five-ish years that I really feel like I got my goddess marching orders and it was no bones about it. It's time for you to step into spiritual feminine leadership and to help other women. And so that's what I've now been about for the last two increasing degrees, I would say over the last five-ish years. It, it might be interesting to tell them about what happened about five, six years ago where you were driving with masculine, masculine, masculine. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So, wow. Was that more than five years ago? That was five, seven, six, years, seven ago. years ago. So, so here was another watershed moment for, for us. We moved here to Arizona. So D Doug quit his like steady job with the pension and the, you know, the insurance and all that jazz. I was, I had been a, a professional writer, copywriter, internet marketer, that kind of thing. We moved here to Sedona and I immediately lost 50% of my income. Wow. And it was scary because I had a lot of money wounds, uh, a lot of scarcity issues running too, which uh, I eventually did work on. But at this point it was just panic. So I just drove myself. I drove myself like I worked all the time. I counted the hours I was working every week because I had heard that if you want to be a successful business builder, you have to work like 20 hours a week or no, not 20, 20, 18 hours a day or some, it was ridiculous. So around Christmas, Christmas Eve, I, I got my menstrual flow and it didn't stop for six months. Wow. And by the end of it, I was, it was what you'd call flooding. It was heavy duty. So I went to a naturopath and she just said, I can't even believe you're sitting upright and talking to me because of the amount of blood you've lost. And we never knew where it was from. And I tell you, we had all, I, all kinds of tests, blah, blah, blah. We used herbs to finally stop it. There was nothing wrong with me. There were no cysts. There were no nothing wrong with me. Hmm. And I really feel like that was the you know the divine feminine frequency the archetype of the feminine the goddess herself saying stop douche right upside the head as an italian girl would say so that was that was another thank you for for reminding me about that because i would say that was a defining moment but i still didn't actually move in fully to the feminine yet because i had so much inner healing work to do myself which i then obviously began doing yeah yeah Wow. Yeah, that's a, a message. What a signal. It was. It was. She was looking like she was ready to die some days. 
she felt like it. Yeah, it just to, to, for the blood to never stop and it to be so much. And you know, having been a woman for all those years, I was what I was in my late forties by then, late forties. Yeah. You know, it it never occurred to me like Dawn, you're dying. <laughs> it never occurred to me because you know you get used to right me gentlemen but we do get used to seeing the blood in the toilet right yeah <laughs> when we when we're in our flow but this was it just got extreme and never stopped never stopped never stopped you know joseph i can't remember if it's joseph campbell or robert bly talking about talking about the the hero's journey and the, the hero's journey i believe applies to men and women yes yeah. and that the one metaphor that he talked about is like the phone rings and you either you either pick it up or you don't you know, and it's, and it's the call to adventure. It's the call to, it's the call to change. And one of the things that I believe is that there's not just one initiation. There's not just one hero's journey for a human being that they occur repeatedly. There's the adolescent hero journey. There's the young adult hero's journey. Yeah. And every phase of life has a new challenge that we have to abandon, yeah. you know, who we've been to become who is next. Yeah. Along with many heroes, journeys, uh, there's more than just one dark night of the soul also. Right. I know I've been through uh, many dark nights of the soul, and one was before I started this organization, sitting on the side of the road, no money, car broke down, going, dang, this stuff happening again? And I asked myself, why? Yeah. And then on the other side of it, I, I, I looked at the bright side, and I was like, well, at least it's not pouring rain out here. <laughs> I, have, I have something to look forward to. Yeah. So let me ask this question then. It seems because you guys face these challenges. How was it that you made the meaning I'm supposed to go forward instead of making the meaning I'm a loser and stuff never works for me and I just am going to quit? That is such a great question. This is about personal responsibility. This is about spiritual maturity. It is. Uh, you know, if we are going to play victim, then we can expect more of the same throughout our lives. And I think at some point, those of us who move beyond the mainstream consciousness that says things happen to us, uh, you know, that we, we start to realize like, no, if I, if I really want to be responsible for my life, that means I take responsibility for every single thing. That's sovereignty. It's a it's adulting. Adulting. Oh, adulting. Our favorite. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I'm always my glass is always full. It could be about so the worst. Happy. The whole world, as we've seen lately, yeah, falling apart. When I get up tomorrow morning, I'm gonna start singing. Is that? Do you think that's just your temperament, or do you think you made a decision? at some point in your life or was there a model for that well there definitely wasn't a model for that um except for my love of music but i just uh i get up and i look at the brights of well what was that song always look on, on the bright, bright side of life do deny the darkness and the things that i have to work on but it's a good way for me to start the day it can go to hell after that, but boy, I've had my couple of minutes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. And there's some indication that that can be cultivated, even, even in midlife, that, you know, some of the, some of the life hack folks and, and behavioral psychologists say, like, getting up and finding something to be grateful for 
every morning, listing those, listing those positive acts, yeah. aspects can actually change our brains and make it easier and easier, just like working out to, to have that, have that more positive attitude that then frees up more resources, which mm-hmm. then creates more abundance and, and less trouble, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I think that it has been a, a work in progress because I didn't have that demeanor. I had much more of a heavy, serious demeanor, and I still can, but my spiritual practices, gratitude, personal development skills, I've developed the life hacks, if you will. They do work. They absolutely do work, and it does create more spaciousness. It's like anything. It's like a snowball running down the hill, you know, where you, you're going to give your energy that snowball is just going to get more momentum and bigger and bigger. So what, what do you want to do with your mind? What do you want to put in there? So you don't have to have been born happy to be happy. <laughs> ah, that's nice. Well, let's take a, let's take a little yeah. break and, and leave our audience with that. What, you know, what can you do out there? Everybody who's listening, what can you be grateful for and uh, get, get that snowball rolling in your own mind? And we'll be right back with more with more with Doug and and uh, Don. Yeah. Okay, what do you think so far? Does this talk about masculinity and femininity make sense to you and match your personal experience? Once again, the concept of psychological integration shows up in an episode, the idea of becoming stronger and better by incorporating different sub-personalities and archetypal energies and constructs is something that we talked about extensively in episode 39, how to add to your life. You might wanna go back and give that one a listen and tell us what you think. We're it's definitely our our hobby horse this idea that we can be more by adding to ourselves to our personalities rather than trying to suppress and deny and eliminate parts of ourselves if you're curious about the work that doug and i have done around healthy masculinity check out the mankind project at mankind.org and at boys to men az.org now back to the conversation with doug don and kelly And welcome back to the Rocket Feather Podcast. <laughs> We're here with Doug Egan and Don Dovecchio, Kelly Roberts, Charles Matthews, and we've been diving into talking about emotions and whether it's okay for men to have them, whether it's okay for women to be embodied, and the, the changes over the last several decades and how men and women are evolving together and separately. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that about sizes it up. And Don, you went and did a project where you interviewed 29 priestesses from around the world, every every continent but Antarctica, I'm guessing? Yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just really curious, what first of all, what motivated you to, to do that project? Oh, okay. So I really knew that it was time for me to create a bigger platform for myself and for my message. And one of the ways to do that is to do what's called a speaker series, or it used to be called a tele-summit. Um, but now we do them through video. So um, I knew this had been in my mind for some time. And I, and I really, this was that intuitive moment of receiving this, 
phrase, return of the priestess. And so I right away went and bought the URL and that was months and months ago. And I just owned it because that's what one does these days. I guess right. you know, right. get an idea for a URL and you go buy it if it's available. And, uh, and then I was like, this is, I think what I need this, this speaker series to be about. And I was really, oh, it was really hard for me to step into this. I was like, no one's going to listen. No one's going to want it. But um, I got encouragement from some friends who are in the entrepreneurial space who said very niche is very valuable right now because people want to be spoken to about what it's spoken with about what is most meaningful to them. Uh, and it And it ended up being far, far beyond the scope of what I even imagined. It was like a global feminine activation. And we had thousands of women from around the world. And I was getting emails daily about how it was moving them profoundly. And it was, um, it was life-changing for all of us, those of us who spoke and the many, many women who, who listened in or, or afterwards, after the series bought, bought the series. Yeah. So do you have a story that sticks out in your, in your mind, a story of, of one of these priestesses or finding these women? Yes. Well, I, that's a good story to share. So I was dedicated to having diversity and I knew how marginalized African-American women were. And I had traveled, I've traveled around the world quite a bit places too. So I knew there were priestesses holding sacred space for healing, transformation, medicine work all around the globe. So I absolutely was committed that this was not going to be a white girl's party. What it took for me to actually get the diversity was far beyond what I what I actually expected it to be. I reached out to almost 100 women. Sometimes it wasn't a fit. Sometimes they didn't have the time. There were definitely some women who wouldn't do it for various reasons. Um, so it was a challenge to get that diversity. But in the end, I did. And I, I had like the high priestess of Bali speaking. Uh, and she's breaking tradition left, right, and center over there. I had women in Australia. I had a Maori elder from New Zealand. I had women from Africa, and but it it was uh, that in itself was a huge undertaking because there were a few elders, women who have uh, identified as priestesses for many many decades now. Some who were my teachers, who I really wanted to be on, uh, and they I I was an unknown, let's say, in that space. And there are those, just like in any, in any what you'd call a vertical or silo or space, there are those who are really raking it in for the, the you know, with, with slick marketing and um, not a lot of heart behind it. And in fact, one very, very well-known priestess, very well-known, very respected in the space, uh, would not be a part of it because she said, quote, I don't want to see the goddess sold out. And that was really painful for me because I know my authenticity, but I know that she didn't know it. So it was like painful in a way, but in another way, it's like, okay, well, move on. <laughs> um, but I, you know, now I think if I were to do it again, and I might, when I have the energy to do that again, because it was huge, um, I, I feel now that we can see just how much it was not selling out the goddess at all, because what, what, what unfolded was that I was doing the recordings right as the COVID lockdown hit. By the time this thing rolled out, there were so many women who were at wit's end, either spiritually or not, who 
had the time and the space to participate in every single day of this series. And I literally spoke with women. I did about 150 calls, one-on-one 30-minute calls with women who purchased the series as a, as a bonus. And I had women who, they cried when they got on the call with me thanking me. And there was one woman who literally told me, and I don't take this as personal credit. I take it as credit for the whole group of us. She was about to commit suicide. And this was the lifeline because she had been a priestess for many years, working in very masculine corporate. This is in Europe. And she had, after COVID and everything else, she just had sort of, was just ready to give up. She's like, I'm done. Spiritually, I'm, I'm fed up with this crazy world. I want out. And it was the priestesses. And it was our conversations and the messages of hope and empowerment and leadership and sacred leadership that um, was the rope she needed at that moment. And so I'm forever grateful for having had the courage and gumption to do what was mine to do because it was not an easy task, but in the end, it was a deeply rewarding task. So Don, can you tell us a little bit about what a priestess is? I'm guessing that uh, if you talk to a hundred women, that that definition might be a little different from woman to woman, but what is the thread that, that makes a priestess? Yeah, this is such a great question. Question. Thank you so much for asking it. Um, so f- I'll say for me, well, first, let me say, yes, we all have sort of different definitions, if you will. So I'm going to share with you mine, which is pretty broad, I would say. Being a priestess, is a, it's, a, it's a calling and a dedication. It is about sacred feminine leadership. It is about, there's the word again, embodying divinity in the, f- the feminine form. And So a priestess can be simply someone who is deeply connected with her spiritual practice and serves in some capacity and leads in some capacity. It could be just leading her own life with sovereignty. It could be leading her family. It could be being in that sacred service from a very deep spiritual connection. And priestesses can be priestesses who are like you call temple priestesses, where they are holding the ceremonies and sacred space and keeping the the rites and the practices. And a priestess can be a warrior priestess, you know, a fierce speaker against injustice, someone who leads, who has the courage and the gumption to lead. Not every woman will identify with priestess because there's still a lot of charge around that language or a lot of like, oh, that's just a reaction to priests kind of thing. But um, but those of us who really feel it, we remember that, that there is a long legacy of feminine spiritual leaders, pre-patriarchal, who were the holders of the sacred space. They were holding the spiritual container of their communities, their villages, their temples. And many of these in, in the ancient times were dedicated to the divine mother, dedicated to the goddess, the life force creation as female, as feminine. And even into patriarchal times, we know of like the priestesses of uh, the Pythia, the priestesses of Apollo, or we have the the brides of Bridget who kept the flame going. There were many of those. So it it is a sacred feminine leadership role, I would say, in the end, or a, a woman who has a spiritual calling to lead and hold that spiritual energy for her community. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you for that. And I'm really glad you asked that question, Kelly, because 
clearly there's not one way to be feminine and and spiritual. Correct. Yeah. So what did you learn, I guess? What what was the big learning for you from being in that space with all of those different priestesses from all those different traditions and different ways of being? Mm, well, I, I learned a lot in terms of both holding the container as they spoke and shared and also being the receiver of the whatever the wisdom insights that they had to offer. So that was in the calls themselves, the recordings. The, the bigger piece, though, for me was that it was about me stepping into my leadership. And, you know, you can ask Doug, he's been the recipient of the divine downloads, the channeling, the all of the stuff for, for 12 years now. And so I really needed to have a big, that bigger platform and serve at a, at a greater level. So since then, I've been able to um, bring a program I've been developing to a much wider audience to serve more women and to really recognize that I have uh, an important piece of the conversation to contribute. And but did you what did you do with that voice that I'm guessing was there that said, What makes you think you get to do this, Dawn? What what yeah. makes you so special? Yeah. Um, this was the the devil voice that I had to deal <laughs> with for many years. And here's the thing: so many of the women I work with, that's exactly what they're dealing with. So I know that I did it because those are the ones I'm here to serve. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's always that way. I think what finally got me to do it was, you know, my own deep spiritual work and the pain. At some point, the pain becomes more, the pain of not doing what your soul is calling you to is greater than the pain of listening to that pain in the backside voice. It, start, it starts to ring hollow after a while. Yeah. Yeah. I felt some emotion come up for me. I, I have a, that similar experience of, of being caught in between those two pains. Yeah. And, and you just, it just, that's, I would say this is kind of a little bit the masculine energy, right? Where it's like our, the inner masculine that just says, you're going to do this. You're going to lead this. You're going to do this. Do it. <laughs> yeah. That warrior energy. Yeah. Get moving. Yeah. What was that like for you, Doug, to be, to be watching that happen? What did you, what did you see? I mean, so, so, I mean, some men, a lot of men actually are threatened by powerful women and threatened by seeing women connect with other women. You know, part of the old strength that I talk about, part of the old strength is making sure that somebody is down and it takes a kind of new strength for it to be a win-win. But what was that, what was that like for you to be in the house while <laughs> these priestesses were talking? It was a lot of being quiet, sitting in the back, listening, but I had a, I had my own special tool that I used to support her. And it was called the spatula because I would cook for her whenever she needed something. And then I'd use it to scrape her off the ceiling later on in the day. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't that bad. <laughs> but there was a lot of work and I could see the intensity that it took for her. So to watch it was, it was really, I'm so grateful that she got to do it. And I'm so grateful that in my own little way, I could be a part of it just as, as a support system and a, and a shoulder or a sounding board. But once she came, once that screen came up, she was there. So to see her intensity and her talents and her gifts 
come through in a different way that I hadn't. Well, she's always done that, but to see it in a bigger picture was yeah, it was really really cool. So I was just grateful to be a part uh, of being able to actually be here, not out working every day, and coming in with my energy, you know, from whatever I'd be doing. It was just like, okay, what time do you want breakfast? What time do you want lunch? And how else can I support you today? Mm. So that was that was a that was a fun part. That really was a gift to me. A gift to you. Interesting. Cause what, I mean, you kind of, you kind of avoided my question a little bit. Cause like what you just talked about is deeply outside the man box, mm-hmm. supporting another person, especially supporting a woman, cooking, listening, <laughs> being a shoulder, being a sounding board. All of those things are things that, I mean, I've been around men when I've been describing how we mentor boys by really listening and really allowing and being kind of receptive. And I've had men respond by saying, Oh God, that's so passive. Like it comes up the, the disdain, the, what I would call it's like a misogyny, right? It's like disdaining the characteristics that we've labeled feminine. And when they see them in men, they don't want to, or when they're being asked to do them, when they don't want to do that because they've been told that that makes them feminine, that makes them a faggot, that makes them queer, that makes them weak. But you said it was a gift to be able to do that. Yeah, it really was. I, I want to I interject here because, well, first of all, the cooking part, it's important to know that Doug used to be a chef. So <laughs> nice. he, is, he is the cook here. <laughs> I mean, not every day, but in terms of gifts and talents, this is one of his masteries. Yeah. So it's not like it was hard for him. Um, but I would, I have to say that because of the work he's done with the men, this is why it's not, this is a balanced man. I mean, none of us are perfect, but I don't want to say that, but Doug is a very balanced man. It's not a stroke, stroke, strike against his ego that I'm shining. And that's the difference. That's the difference. So he was able to hold the space for me to lead. And there are times where it's his turn and I hold the space for him. So it's not like it's just a one-way street. This is about the balance that's not stasis, that's Mm. flow. I think there is something important to say just about relationships here, which is that when we expect our partner to be the end-all be-all, it can be really hard. And for years while I was in hiding, (laughs) I called it, I was in the spiritual broom closet, um, Doug, was the recipient of any of the downloads, the spiritual insights, the guidance. And there are times where he's just like, yeah, hun, I got to go, you know, <laughs> and I get upset because I didn't have an audience. So it really is like to also, to be quite honest, taking something off of his shoulders because yeah. it wasn't just for him anyway. Yeah. It was always meant for a wider audience. Yeah. He was just the first audience member. And, and my biggest cheerleader. So yeah, and awesome. I'm grateful. Biggest fan. <laughs> But let's let's take another little break and then yeah. come back and kind of uh, kind of try and wrap this huge thing up. Of course, yeah. there's no way to wrap this up. This is this is ongoing. This is huge work. And as yeah. as Don talked about, and I I totally agree. You know, there's this rebalancing happening, and and like you said, it's happening at the macro scale and at the individual scale. I feel it happening in me. I feel it happening in Doug. I feel it happening in Kelly, and uh, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, it's time. It's time. It's time. All right, everybody, take a take a moment to balance yourselves out there, and we'll be right back with more from the Rocket Feather Podcast.
Thank you all for listening to this episode. Just so you know, the conversation continues with more interaction in the Rocket Feather Community Lab Facebook group. Kelly and I transmit live from the garden every Saturday morning, and we engage with everyone's comments all week long. So join the group for your chance to be part of the conversation and dig in to these topics that matter. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rocket Feather podcast. We're talking about masculine, feminine. We're talking about growth and development. We're talking about being full human beings, full spectrum human beings. So, Don, I'm really curious how this work that you're doing around the priestesses is going to ripple out into the world. What is it that you imagine or hope for? Mm, thank you. Okay, I'm just going to take a moment to tune in so that I, to my own inner guidance, so that this comes through clearly without too many words. We are at a time on the planet of great transition, a great transformation. The structures that we have been uh, living under are very hierarchical in nature, very pyramidal. And um, those structures are at the beginning of the change. And so one of the roles that I see of the priestess right now is to uh, hold the field of love, if you will, hold the container so that people don't um, absolutely go nuts during destabilizing times. We are showing up as the midwives, if you will, of the birth of a new humanity, a new kind of consciousness, one that is more whole, more balanced, more aligned with love and care and the higher principles that we often give lip service to, but don't actually live in our day-to-day -day lives. And my feeling is that the times in the next few years could be rocky in some places on earth. And so the midwives of that, the, 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 the energy holders uh, are all of us really, those of us who do our inner work, who can stay the course in rough seas. And the priestesses are one of those groups, I would say. Mm. Wow, that feels so powerful. And mm -hmm. I love knowing that I have a bunch of sisters out there doing the work. It makes Countless. me feel, yeah, it makes me feel Countless. real inspired. And I, I, cause I kind of have thought about myself just kind of alone in my garage doing my thing. And it really makes me feel connected to so many other, other people really holding this earth with love in yeah. different ways, but in the same way that I am. In, yes, in different ways. We all have our unique, and this is women and men alike, those of us who feel called, if you will, mm -hmm. to facilitate or support the transformation of humanity, of the systems of this earth to something more life-sustaining. We all have our role. We have the, the truth tellers, the warriors, the those deep in the field. But the, we also have the ones who are literally anchoring the frequency we wish to see unfold. Mm -hmm. And that the ability to do that is directly correlated with how well we have done our own inner work so that we don't get triggered by egoic stuff. Mm -hmm. The more we heal within, the more able we are to do that work. And it is very important right now. 
Boom. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And that's a, that that speaks really clearly to to well, first of all, Don, thank you for plugging in and thank you for yes. finding those words and taking the time and taking the breath to do that. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm realizing I was just like, I'm just spouting off. Like, wait a minute, hang on a second, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just witnessed something. <laughs> Follow the example. Yeah, and that's I feel inspired as well. And I feel like that's what we're doing our best to do with this podcast, which is to get voices like yours and to have them be all in one place as a kind of anchor for the kind of change that Kelly and I want to see in the world. Yes. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. And so we're, we're really happy that you were here on this podcast and we're really happy for those of you who are in the audience. And I'm hoping that Don's words feel like an anchor for you all as well because mm-hmm. we can all i feel sometimes like i'm flying off the planet that i don't <laughs> that i don't feel anchored that i don't feel any kind of surety any kind of stability yeah i think you're speaking charles to something that is very much uh, rife in the in the hearts of hum- many humans right now especially those who are suffering a lot more than perhaps we are in terms of their finances uh, in terms of who they're locked down with mm-hmm. and it's really really important there that we hold that love energy as an extension for all of our sisters and brothers and be the the anchor, the lifeline in any way we feel divinely called, what I would call divinely called to do. And clearly you two have united to bring forth something very powerful here. So I trust that you will reach many people in time with with these messages. Uh, Thank you. That feels like a wonderful blessing. Thank you. (laughs) And and that you see us in our, our hearts and our intentions. Yeah. Very much. So I have a little bit more of a practical question. Just from your experience, do you, if if people are hearing this and they say, I want to get more into doing this spiritual work and I, I want to find a guide, do you have a sense of the kinds of qualities people should look for in a spiritual guru or guide that that will kind of because you alluded earlier to there are some people out there who are just cashing in and are not the real deal um is there a way to tell what the real deal looks like yeah vetting it's a good question (laughs) how do we vet Mm -hmm. uh, the charlatans from the real deal it's a challenge um again i feel like i need to connect in to bring this through Mm. as clearly as i can We are always a vibrational match to that which we, uh, what shows up in our lives. And so um, we will find different teachers at different times in our lives, depending on kind of where we're at. The more you are courageously willing to look at your own inner shadow and not abdicate your own sacred throne of your divinity, your divinity beyond your personal self, the more you're willing to honor yourself, to honor your own sovereignty, the less likely you are to be ripped off by a charlatan. Uh, And sometimes we encounter those people to learn a lesson as well. Everything can be medicine. Everything can be a lesson. But 
the more you do your inner work, the more you can also trust your own intuition. So it's a deeply internal rather than a practical thing. Although I would say on the practical level, you will know them by their fruits. What are they doing? How are they showing up? And we can't always see on the internet, you know, what people's fruits are. So listen, watch, uh, read testimonials of others, feel into your feelings and find who resonates with you. We have many, many spiritual teachers right now on the planet. We're not necessarily seeing ourselves as gurus, but as teachers, as guides, as way showers. If people want to accrue a following forever and say, follow what I say and you will you'll achieve enlightenment or something, they're probably not really authentic. For me, uh, for example, as a spiritual teacher, I know that I am here to serve certain certain people and they will move on after they work with me. And that's great. I'm not here to try and acquire this giant flock to stroke my ego. <laughs> hmm. uh, and if I ever do that, I have someone who does his own inner work who will keep me in check. <laughs> <laughs> as well as powerful sister friends who will call me on my BS. Mm-hmm. Um, so really look at the, their fruits uh, and, and, and what they're saying in their message and go within to listen deeply within. To, to, do I trust this person? Do I feel trust? Do they have something for me here? And never give up your own sovereignty, your own uh, authority to know what is true for you based on what some other teacher tells you is truth. Mm. That sounds like a really, really powerful, actionable advice mm-hmm. for sure. And I love the one of the things you said early on, and that was talking about doing the personal work around your shadow. And I, I don't know that everybody listening knows what that means necessarily. But I think one of the things that we see, you know, in Sedona and wherever else is that is spiritual bypass where people are trying to do, trying to do, uh, you know, sort of ascendant, transcendental ascendant work without acknowledging all of the, the pain and the depth and the, the work that needs to be done down in the shadows to acknowledge past wrongs, to acknowledge our own failings, our own weaknesses, they just think, oh, I'm going to put on a, a white dashiki and, and sit in a vortex and everything's going to be fine. Like, no, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of cleaning up. And, yeah. 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 And I, you know, and I feel I do most of the work that I do is actually shadow work. I, I feel like I haven't yet earned my own, I haven't earned my own dashiki yet. So um, uh, <laughs> I know it's, I know it's coming for me at some point, but uh there's so much richness down in the, down in the dark and down in the, down in the shadow. Down in the dirt. Yeah. And I I do like being down in the dirt. I do like being down in the dirt. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I'm a little grub. I like it. Yeah. It's a good place to go. It's shadow where we hide, deny, and repress. Yeah. And where our greatest tools are. It's where our greatest gifts can come. Well, that's where some gifts can come from. Maybe not our greatest, but without the shadow, uh, Pluto digs around in the Pluto digs around in the shadows to uncover the gold. Yeah, and for me, the for me, the gold is the shared humanity. Yeah. It's like I'm a grub, you're a grub, we're all grubs. That's great. We all got the same. We all got the same grub grub nature. And we're golden angels. And we're golden angels. And we're golden angels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're both. We're 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 all of it, and we are when we own. When we integrate, when we face and own our, our ugly face in the mirror, you could say, and love that with compassion and forgive ourselves and accept it and move on, 
we're so much more powerful, not power over others, power to walk in this very challenging reality we're living in and still hold that true love, the love for humanity, for our sisters and brothers, the love and acceptance for ourselves, the forgiveness of those who trespassed against us. All of that good stuff is more available when we go down deep and really get honest with our own grubs, our own dirt, our own stuff we'd rather ignore. Yeah. Hmm. Well, okay. Well, already then. So I love it. Do I thank you guys so much again for for being here and and uh sharing your Saturday morning with us. I'm really looking forward to putting this episode out and and sharing it with more people, more people. I want more people to hear your Absolutely. words. Absolutely. And homework. And homework. Yeah, before we go, do either or both of you have a little homework, a science experiment, a, a, a thought experiment for our audience. My homework would be, for those that are listening, is when you wake up and put your feet on the ground, sing a song. You don't have to know the words. You don't have to have a good voice. Just sing. The vibration will help you to put you in a good mood, put you in a mood you want to be. It's great for focusing. It's great for concentrating. Just sing whatever's in your heart. Mm. Blues, rock and roll, opera, go for it. Love Try it. that for five days and see how you do. Can it, can it just be a la-la-la to start with? It can just be a la-la-la. <laughs> awesome. Great. Love it. So mine is, this is what I'm feeling called to share, uh, to put both, anytime you feel um, scared, upset, angry, triggered in any way, put both hands on your heart and take five breaths. So breathing into the heart and letting go. Breathing into the heart. And letting go. And then even as you're doing the breathing, you could even say, I love you, and then say your name. So I could say, I love you, Dawn. And let go. And I accept you, Dawn. I accept you, Dawn. I accept you, Charles. I accept you, Dawn. And I forgive you, Dawn. I forgive you, Dawn. And that's a good way to just shift your energy so that you can come at whatever it is and handle, navigate whatever it is you're dealing with, with more oxygen in your brain, more love in your heart. Mm. Oh, so good. So doable. Absolutely. Both of those things. More oxygen, more mm -hmm. love. Sounds good. More song. More song. Love is like oxygen. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. Thank you again, everybody. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Kelly. What Thank fun. You. I always nice feel call. so good at the end of one of these conversations. And really nice to connect with the both of you again. I mm -hmm. can't wait to see you. Yeah. Person, flesh to flesh. Elbow to elbow. Elbow, elbow. to elbow. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Manifest the vaccine, right? Yes. Great. Right. What do you think about that conversation? with a priestess and a warrior. And is there a part of you that has been calling? Will you pick up the phone? 
Is there a part of you that you haven't felt safe expressing or even knowing? Is there a part of you down in the dark that needs reclaiming? Is there a golden part of you that needs inflating and growth? Does this conversation give you permission to open up to those parts of yourself a little bit more? The feminine parts, the masculine parts, the powerful parts. If you are living a full spectrum life, tell us how did you get there? How did you incorporate all of your parts? We'd love to know your story. And if you're still working on it, we'd love to hear about your struggles. Some calls to action. You can check out Don's website at dondelvecchio.com. That's D-A-W-N-D-E-L-V-E-C-C-H-I-O.com. You can see photos and bios of all the priestesses she interviewed at returnofthepriestess.com. And if you are hearing the phone ringing and suspect that you're being called to grow, especially if it's growth in your powerful feminine, consider Don's Priestess Alchemy course that starts Tuesday. Go to dondelvecchio.com slash soulmissionalchemy soul mission alchemy all one word and from the divine to the deer check out the zokni of the week every week and help us find someone to adopt this week dear jock jock is a sporty little sock monster who is looking for a home you can nominate somebody to adopt jock can you think of somebody maybe outside your immediate family or a local hero maybe somebody who wants company watching the game jock's a really like i said he's a really sporty guy Put your name in the comments on the website or in our social media, and they'll be entered into the weekly drawing. All right, it is now safe to unstrap and leave the rocket. By the way, I'm a little late getting this episode together because I actually watched two people unstrap and leave their rocket today. I watched the the Dragon capsule return from orbit, the first uh, U.S. crewed mission to leave from and return to our country and it just gave me a lot of hope and wonder and being able to see people work together people from all different walks of life and ages and ethnicities working together to do something powerful and wonderful and and you know does it cost a lot of money and maybe does it feed a lot of people on the earth true but it's inspiring for me nonetheless they unstrapped they left their rocket and now they're back with us Until next time, this is Charles Matthews wishing you a fascinating journey into the fullness of you.